Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore, and this week's episode is a bit of a follow-up to an episode we did a few weeks ago with two candidates for statewide office, Fred Durrell, who's the Democratic candidate for labor commissioner, and Kimberly Fobbs, who is the Democratic candidate for the insurance commissioner. They have been traveling the state together, and in some ways they're a bit of an unlikely duo. Um, When you first meet them, you might not expect them to be friends, and since they're both campaigning statewide and they're both Democrats and they're both from Tulsa, they've literally been driving around the state and you'll hear in the episode that they've logged somewhere around 16,000 miles or 20,000 miles together during this campaign season. And so we wanted to check back in with them and see what's happened since we last spoke and what they expect for these final two weeks of the campaign. We were able to speak with Fred and Kimberly by phone today as they left Oklahoma City to head back out on the campaign trail. So we're joined now by Fred Durrell and... Kimberly Fobbs, who are running for Labor Commissioner and Insurance Commissioner, respectively. How are you guys doing? Good, Andy. Thanks for speaking with us. Sure. Doing well. Thank you, Andy. So uh, we spoke a few weeks ago, and you guys have been out on the campaign trail ever since then. What's What's been new out in the field? What are you hearing from voters? Uh, I, I think it's very exciting. Um, definitely at the grassroots level, we are hearing voters of all types of party, economic status, and geography that are really engaged and wanting to know who is running for office, what we stand for. I think it's really a good sign that voters are willing to take the time to not just see a name on a ballot, but to understand uh, who the people are that want to represent them. Um, I personally had the first opportunity to be at a forum, it wasn't a debate, but a forum side by side with my opponent, and uh, the differences couldn't be more stark in terms of what we both have to offer, and I'm very encouraged by the response that we received. Excellent. Fred, how about you? Um, One of the things that's become apparent is it seems that... um, people measure things on money raised it seems um you know my opponent is probably raised close to a million dollars by now i don't know what the latest reporting is and which you know the the challenge is you know some are uh, advocating or they're they're trying to raise money and and i guess what i've been trying to do is uh, raise awareness and the importance of making a difference mm-hmm so I, I think that's become apparent. There's two different, uh, there's distinguish, distinguishable differences between my my platform or my position and, and my opponents. But I think, you know, talking to people, it, it gets uh, it becomes clear. Sure. Now I know that there's been a lot of discussion, especially on the on the national level, about how much money Democrats have raised this year. That it's they've had a good year and and arguably Republicans have had a bad year uh, raising money. And I think some of that probably extends to, you know, like the Senate race in Texas and high profile races like that. Do you do you guys feel like here at the kind of the grassroots state level for you um, that that money will play as big of a role as it does in some of those higher profile races? a little bit in our races. We are both statewide candidates 
who are running against career politicians that have had a long-standing relationship with corporations and lobbyists funding their campaign. So at the grassroots level, both of our competitors have their pockets lined uh, with outside interests. But what is clear is that the voters are saying is that they don't want people who've been part of the last eight years of dragging Oklahoma down. And being a career politician is detrimental. So they've got more money than we do, but I believe we've got the people on our side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would agree. I, I think the challenge is a down ballot. Uh, the primary focus has been on, say, for example, the governor, Senate, legislative races. And and I know I'm the labor commissioner. Uh, most people don't understand exactly the functions, roles, and responsibilities, and that's clearly spelled out in the statutes. But, and, you know, it, it, it's something that's important. Um, so, I mean, trying to get that message out, but again, it takes money to do that. So I think it's effectiveness, um, you know, I'm passionate. I know Kimberly's passionate. And, and when you see the the interaction of, of the folks, um, you know, that's kind of the driving force. But again, it's hard to combat, you know, when someone's combating money and money in the sense that you're raising money to get your message out and like Kimberly said, they, the people don't want more of the same. Now, you know, we'll see when it comes election day. Sure. Well, so I mean, you guys kind of speak to the not just the the financial gap, but the enthusiasm gap that may exist between parties. And being statewide candidates, it's a little tough to go out and knock doors of four million Oklahomans. So, how do you guys get the word out to voters? Well, I think, I think, and I've said this before, but it seems to be they would rather instill fear than, than faith and, and hate rather than hope. And there has to be a bad guy. And uh, Democrats are this or that. And they keep going the negative. Um, it, it, in my mind, sometimes it's not like they have a lot to say, so they just want to throw the same old uh, things that come out and people get sidetracked on that. So I think... You know, I think there should be some discussion, debate, talking about the issues at hand, talking about um, what's important to Oklahomans, but also listening to what they have to say. You know, my opponent talks about it's just safety and policy and licensing and just kind of really simplifies or down, downplays the functions, roles, and responsibilities of what the labor commissioner should be doing. Um, so that's one aspect. Well, and, you know, we definitely are using more of, of current technology, digital media, um, and digital ways to get our message out. But I, I want to underscore the point again, there's a reason labor commissioner and insurance commissioner, at least on our ticket, are so uh, intertwined. Both of us represent roles that people only think about us when something bad happens. And when we were with you the last time, we talked about Paul Valley Hospital, which since then the hospital was shut down. Mm -hmm. But the employees have reached out to us, and there is a current crisis, a labor and insurance commissioner issue that is still unresolved. The employees of that hospital had payroll deductions taken out for their health and medical insurance and life insurance that wasn't actually applied. Um, and so as a labor commissioner, they're asking, where did our money go? Why wasn't it applied? 
and they don't have the benefits they need. We have consumers every single day that are in the same situation, that their money isn't right, their benefits aren't right, and it's when something bad happens, they need somebody that's going to fight for them. And that's what we've been able to do, and that message is getting out no matter where we go. Sure. Well, I was going to ask you guys about two other kind of uh, specific issues that, and they they both they might both pertain to both of you. But um, Kimberly, I was going to ask you specifically about the impending rollout uh, or not rollout, but the um, startup of the annual marketplace insurance uh, enrollment period that will begin November first. Uh, here in Oklahoma, and have people been talking about Marketplace, about the Affordable Care Act, about Obamacare, whatever you want to call it? Has that been a topic you're hearing from consumers? Uh, to a certain extent, and, and I'll really break it down um, because there are some misconceptions. You know, for years, um, there's been rhetoric that has scared people into blaming everything wrong with our health care system in Oklahoma on the Affordable Care Act. And we know even before it was implemented, our people didn't have access to quality coverage and people couldn't afford it. Um, so part of it is that. Part of it is that we've also limited the access to navigators, people who have the ability to help uh, consumers find the right product for them. And then finally, we're still in a situation where um, 38 percent of working low-income Oklahomans do not have health care as opposed to 26 percent on the national average. So we've got to change the narrative that everything that's wrong with our state is a result of the Affordable Care Act. Are there pockets for people's premiums um, because of where we are and are not taking subsidies uh, causing problems? Absolutely yes. But our health care system needs as many choices and not fewer choices. And we run into people every single day that don't have access to health care, can't get sooner care, um, have trouble with Medicaid and Medicare. And so the entirety of the system, not just the Affordable Care Act, is what we need to address through um, advocacy. Sure. I, it's, uh, you know, I work in healthcare, and um, as my colleagues are gearing up for open enrollment, I think it's been fresh in our minds and I feel like it changes a little bit every year. My understanding is that we may have a second insurer, another insurance company, offering plans through the marketplace this year. Um, do you know anything about that? We, we do, yes, we do have a second insurer, but I think what is even more important is for consumers to understand that the penalty for not having the Affordable Care Act has been removed um, through the tax process. So that is no longer an issue for people to worry about. Oh, right. Yeah. So you don't get penalized if you don't have insurance. Correct. Sure. Uh, Fred, question for you. Since we last spoke, uh, we've found out that the employees of the State Department of Health um, have decided to file a lawsuit against the, against the department, against the state um, for wrongful termination. Um, and I don't have a specific question, but just I would like to get your thoughts on that. Well, I don't have all the specifics um, in front of me uh, to speak to it directly. But what I will say this is, and I've alluded to this before, state employees should not be treated any different. Um, they have rights. They have. Uh, they should be treated uh, with dignity and respect. And, and the games that have been played that I've heard of, 
You know, it's ridiculous. So, uh, I mean, again, it comes back to disposable workforce, and we, we've got to stop that. And state employees, you know, state employees haven't had an increase, generally speaking, in the last 10 years. Um, you know, uh, subject matter experts, all of those, uh, it's hard to keep and retain. And from the Department of Mental Health, the, the reductions that I've heard about and what they've done, uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, we need to start treating our people uh, with value, dignity, and respect. And, and instead of, you know, because they're state employees, um, we just get rid of them. Right, right. Do you, so I know that um, membership of of unions and, and trade organizations has been pretty steadily decreasing over time in our state. Why do you think that is? Well, the the decrease is everything's been about uh, number one is manufacturing. You know, the jobs there's not been uh, areas where you would normally see uh, a high population of unions. Uh, the types of jobs. You know, one of the things we have here, we can talk, I hear this about talking about jobs all the time. We don't need just jobs. We need good paying jobs. And we need jobs where it, it matters, where people can go and have a, uh, an opportunity to grow. And at the same time, you know, looking at a fair living or a, a fair or living wage, you know, those are the things that's going to attract those kinds of, 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 of jobs. And you know, an increase in, in uh, minimum wage is not just good for the employee, but it's good for the, the economy. It's good for the state of Oklahoma. But as far as the unions go, you, you're starting to see that uh, inc- increase in some ways. But you know, again, that depends on the organization. It depends on how people treat the how they treat the employees. You know, um, if you treat your employees with dignity and respect, you provide a, a, a safe work environment. You pay them a decent wage and give them a method or a way to address their their grievances, if you will. Um, then it's highly unlikely that people are going to organize. But when you start, you know, health and safety issues, when you start, you know, shorting them, there's not a parity or there's not a sense of fairness. Then they have no other way to turn, and they want, you know, all they want is justice, and they don't feel like they're getting it. Or when you've got discriminatory uh, employment practices those kinds of things those are the things is what makes people want to join or form and join unions sure sure do you, and this is just a personal question but i've you kind of alluded to this that typically we see unions occurring like among uh lower wage workers or you know blue collar workers or whatever is there why don't we see more of that among like professionals or white collar workers? I could, I, mean, I can imagine something in a scenario like higher education um, where, uh, you know, faculty may have great jobs, but there's also a, a, a big divide or a big uh, kind of line in the sand between the faculty and the administration. Um, and I, there may be legal reasons for this, but really just kind of enlighten me however you can. Well, a couple of things we do have, uh, you got the American Medical Association is is one form. You've got the American Bar Association, but you know, to your point, when you you have a dis- when you have a disposable workforce or where you've got people, you know, I've heard of situations where, um, you know, even the the threat of forming a union 
um, you know, they focus more on getting rid of the employee than to say, okay, what's the problem? Why would you want to do that? Um, comes back to someone thinks because you understand something, you agree with it. So, you know, companies, that, and I talk to them all the time, you know, about unionization is this big paranoia. And again, you know, you got to have workers to have business and business to have workers. And it's not rocket science, it's rocket science to know that you treat your people right, you know, they're going to, they're going to engage. Now there's always going to be exceptions. Got that, but that's all the way around. So, you know, I'm starting to hear more and more talk about people wanting to form unions. And again, they're, you know, even within the, the union environment, you know, it, it depends on, they're just a reflection of their leadership. And just like we are in a democracy, you know, we're a reflection of the people we put in office. And we can put some knuckleheads in there, and people are going to think, well, that's a knucklehead state. Same thing applies. A union is simply a democracy within. The people are the ones that dictate uh, what they want or what they don't want to the leadership. The leadership is just representative, much like what we have. Sure. I think I'd like to see the word knucklehead used more often in state politics. That word makes me chuckle every time. Um, so I, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about what um, just like some questions about you guys and, and to help our listeners gain a better understanding about what happens out on the campaign trail and, uh, and maybe who you guys are as people. So what... Um, could you each share maybe the the we'll say the most humorous or une- do this way the the most unexpected experience you've had during this campaign so far? Wow, Fred's looking at me, so I guess I go first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm going to actually uh, answer that in two ways. The most unexpected would have been, and also one of the most positive, was early on we went to Haskell County. And uh, it was a huge crowd, maybe 200 people there. And at the beginning of it, it was really kind of a chilly reception with regard to who I am as a person and my candidacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time it was over, um, I, I just couldn't stop shaking enough hands of people relating to why I was running, understanding what my commitment was to serve, and it underscored the point that it didn't matter your party, it didn't matter your race or your gender or your economic circumstances, that everybody has a need and an insurance story to tell, and they knew that I was genuine about doing what was right for the people of Oklahoma. So it went from a very unfriendly room one of the warmest receptions that I received and it was what encouraged me to keep on this path across the state and I'll follow that up by we went to a rodeo in the middle of the summer slash cookout in Freedom, Oklahoma mm-hmm. with a bunch of cowboys and I was dressed in all white because <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know any better but I had a good time and the people were warm and friendly and I think that's the message is Rural Oklahoma especially is is near and dear to my heart and to my need to serve because too much of our state is being left behind and ignored. And um, that's what encourages us to keep moving forward. Sure. Fred, what about you? What's been unexpected for you? 
Well, as I'm, you know, sitting here, um, there's been several that come to mind. Um, su- surprising, I guess. Um, to use the Freedom Rodeo as an example, um, in that particular instance, with there was, a, say, a cowboy, um, and I mean that with respect. I mean, he was—I don't know if he was a bull rider or uh, bronc rider, but you know, he had—he uh, was all had one of them like a, an award shirt that he was wearing and there's a bunch of people around so it went up and he said so you're running for labor commissioner and um first thing he said then he said so you get rid of them blankety blank unions <laughs> and i said well no sir i said people have a right to form join unions i said um then he get, went on and and he goes uh so what's your background and i said well told him uh I was labor relations specialist at the Spirit and company and blah, blah, blah. And he had this, you know, he asked a couple of questions, said about a, a fair wage and different things. He goes, by God, I'll pay my nephew what the hell I want to pay him. Ain't no government going to tell me what to do. And I said, okay. I said, well, that's fine because the minimum wage doesn't apply to you because you're exempt <laughs> from it. Right. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of like he wanted to fight. And, I, and so I looked at him and I said, so... Let me, you know, part of the problem I, as I see, I said, so, or I'd ask him, I said, so what is, uh, what, you know, you sound angry. What is, what is your, your concern here? What's, what's, what's your issue on this? And he said, well, you know, he had heard of, from, uh, rumors, uh, people that worked in unions and made 30, 40, $50 an hour and they don't do a damn thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. I said, well, I, I don't really know of anybody that makes that and and you know unless it's a specialty trade or something along that line uh but as far as working i said that's not the case in any of the facilities i've worked in um and i said so you know a lot of it's just kind of understanding and um so he kind of kept going i said so let me ask you a question i said just because someone wears a cowboy hat does that mean they're a cowboy and he kind of looked at me said well no <laughs> Kimberly's, Kimberly's like, and Wes is with us, and they're like, oh my God. And I said, well, it's just like because somebody wears a watch doesn't mean they know how to tell time. And and then he, you know, he kind of, he got it. You know, he got to say what he wanted to say and the frustration. But that was kind of surprising, and it was kind of, you know, you just got to talk to people like your people. You know, you, 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 you know, that's what it all came down to. It wasn't confrontational. It wasn't combative. I let him get his frustrations out. But I think one thing that stands out that's kind of a little funny is that so I go into the black community into a black function, and so they see this white boy walking in, and they're kind of looking at him like, okay. Um, and I, I am really kind of a shy guy. I mean, I know that's hard for a lot of people to believe, but so we're speaking. So I get up there and um, – so I did my, my, my speech and came down and it was so funny because they all came up to me afterwards and were shaking my hand and said, man, you ought to be a pre, you know, here we go. And, and <laughs> like the, the ones that were totally looking at me like, okay, what are you doing here? Or what, you know, and they realized that I'm just me. I, I just speak from the heart. And I've had people tell me that, you know, I don't have any preconceived notion of what really I'm going to say. You know, it just, there it is. So, I mean, you know, and there's all kinds of other little ones. Watch, I'll think of some real good ones after we hang up. <laughs> well, I think that, uh, come what you said there, is that authenticity 
matters to voters. And I think I've heard that from a lot of a lot of voters that we've spoken with as well, just kind of in the course of doing doing stuff with Let's Fix This, that people don't it doesn't always require someone who's shiny and polished, sometimes someone who is uh, a good hearted person that generally cares about the state is is maybe who they are drawn towards. Uh, yeah, they're definitely tired of the political double talk this year. They want real answers. Yeah. So what um, what are you guys doing for election night? Are you guys going to be in Tulsa? You've got plans here. I know the here in the city or the the each party has a big party. Um, but what are your what are your plans for watching the results come in? Yes, as this is Kimberly. It's part of uh, Tulsa County. Uh, we are hosting, uh, along with multiple candidates, an uh, all-in watch party at the uh, Jazz Hall of Fame. So every campaign will be hosting their friends and constituents, but we'll be in a shared space. Hopefully it'll be lots of fun, lots of positive energy, um, and uh, a good time will be had by most. Nice. Fred, Fred, are you going to be there with her? Are you doing your own thing? Well, we have we have our own watch party. Uh, we'll be in the same building. Okay. Um, so that was, uh, you know, I got to tell you something. It's kind of funny. The other day we were coming back from an event, and this lady calls, and uh, there had been a lit drop, and she's leaving a message on the phone, and she's reading it. And says, you know, Fred Durrell, I really like your information, and she goes through it, and she goes, um, very impressed. Uh, did a great job. And she goes, uh, I sure hope you're a Republican. <laughs> and or she goes, I don't know what party you are, but I sure hope you're a Republican. So, I, I you know, I'm thinking, okay, you get all these flattering compliments, and then all of a sudden it's now party matters. Right. And it was like, okay. That's funny. That is a funny example. And I don't know how to combat that aside from dropping party labels altogether. That sounds nice. Um, what... Uh, what do you wish that that voters knew? Well, hang on, let me ask it this way. What nugget of it, of advice do you have for other folks out there who are considering running for statewide office someday? Well, I think just be who you are, not who somebody wants you to be. And as I said early on when I started this journey, uh, you know, and I probably confused some people, because, yeah, I'm a registered Democrat, but I, I'm Fred Durrell. And people that know me and know who I am and know what I'm about, they know that. And it's not about party. It's not about label. It's about the people. And people that know me know that. They've seen me. Um, and, and I think you've got to be true to yourself. You don't say what people want to hear because it's convenient. Um, you say what you believe, and if you don't know something, you tell people you don't know. Um, if, if you believe in something, then you tell them. But, you know, I think most importantly is to listen. Because if you go out there thinking that you have all the answers and you're going to be a quick at, uh, fix it quick, you're going to be here for rude awakening. So, you know, some people want immediate answers. Well, there's not always an immediate answer to a complex situation because one spins over into another into another and that's why you know you have to accept the fact that you got to partner with people you got to work with people but more importantly be transparent and when people are transparent 
then I think things go a lot smoother. Sure. And my answer would be um, to the question of someone who's thinking of running for statewide office. Um, I'll compare and contrast some of the people that we've seen. Um, Fred and I are in it because we're here to serve Oklahoma and to make it better for people. But we've also run into candidates for statewide office that view the position as a stepping stone to their next political career, or they've tasked that certain jobs look easy enough that they think they can do it after leaving the legislature. And those aren't the reasons to run for statewide office. We believe that there are four million people that we are accountable to and that should evaluate our job performance. And those are the people on the citizens of Oklahoma. And if you aren't running for office because you take that responsibility to serve, number one, as your primary and only responsibility, I think you're running for the wrong reasons. And it's a tough and long road. Wish we'd gotten the race a little sooner, but we've worked really hard. We've met many great people. And, you know, so many people have asked us for help in our respective roles. The fact that they need somebody that will listen and truly do what they say they will do. That's why you hold this office. This is a public trust. It's not a career promotion. That's. I think that last line is really interesting, especially right now because we have such like anti-incumbent um, energy and and just folks that that want outsiders, right? And you know, like we can go on whether that that's right or wrong. I think it depends on who the candidate is. Um, just because you haven't done a certain job doesn't mean you'd be good or bad at it. I know that I don't want someone walking in off the street thinking they can be a brain surgeon. Um, I also don't want someone walking out the street thinking they can be, you know, labor commissioner or insurance commissioner. Um, but as you said, in some cases, having someone who has been on the inside of politics for a number of years isn't necessarily a better move, right? No, I agree. I think it, you get into groupthink that way. I, I mean, I would encourage people, you know, look at the resumes, look at the, the experience, you know, the, look at the background. You know, what makes you think, and, that, you know, I'll have people ask me, what, why do you want to be labor commissioner? What makes you think? What's your, you know, basically your past, your background? And then when I tell them and explain to them, or, or I tell them, just tell them, simply tell them about it, they get it. You know, and that's what we need to do is, regardless if you're running for office or not, is before you, you vote, you mark somebody, uh, the ballot, what are, what qualifies them um, to be who they want to be or the job they want to run for? And, and it is. It's a public servant. Um, you know, you're there to represent and to listen and represent all the people. Because, you know, when you get, you get elected, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, you take the labels off, you can take the party off, you're there to represent the people of Oklahoma, not just the Democrats, not just the Republicans or the independents, it's everybody. And oftentimes people lose sight of how they got where they're at because then all of a sudden um, the party, the party, the party. And you know, we've had enough of that the last eight years and it should be about the people, the people, the people. How many miles have you guys traveled so far this year? Well, I quit. Last count was over sixteen thousand, probably closer to twenty some thousand. I would guess twenty thousand. I'm thinking. I, I don't know. I'm afraid to look at the mileage. Have you guys divided that between your vehicles, or are you taking the same vehicle everywhere you go? 
No, it's been it's been both, but uh, one of us has a bigger vehicle than the other, so <laughs> I'm the co-pilot generally. It, yeah, one of us knows directions better than the other one. <laughs> what's uh, what's the best food you've eaten as you've traveled the state? You know that is a good question. Uh, there's, there's been in different areas. Um, I'm trying to think, um, if you go to different, you know, you say Mexican food and yeah, you can break it down if you want. Best, best burger, best taco. Uh, uh, I was gonna say, gosh, I remember what town we were in. Was it Alva? I think I ate a, a entire ribeye by myself, and it was amazing. No, <laughs> so that was in Guyman. Guyman. That was in Guyman. Okay. Yeah, they, they brought this steak out, and the steak was bigger than she was. And and I'm I looked, and I think, and and, and one of my guys is with me, and or had driven us, and we're looking at her, and Wes is a big boy, and he looks at that, and he's thinking, okay, is she gonna eat that? And she did a pretty good job on it. So yeah, that was really good. <laughs> yeah, it's good enough so that, that you both remember it. Yeah, well, I remember the fact. I, I mean, my steak was good, but I got a fillet. She got a. That, and we didn't. We very seldom eat steak, so we thought, well, we'd treat ourselves to a steak because we'd been at the fair. And, you know, sometimes at what you do and going along and campaign trail, you forget to eat. I mean, I've lost 55 pounds since I started this campaign, and you could see that if you're walking and talking and knocking on doors. But, you know, we haven't been, we do a lot of walking and a lot of talking, but it's not like, you know, your state representatives or state senators that sure. are candidates that are running and knocking doors. Yeah, I, I saw to eat sometimes. Right, yeah. I saw somebody to the other day here in Oklahoma City that had knocked on their f- like three thousandth or four thousandth door or something. And um I think the the tales from the streets like that from you guys on the road or from folks knocking doors, um, to me as a voter are interesting. I like to know what like what my fellow Oklahomans care about, what they're saying. Um also, I've been someone who works with people my whole life, and so any of the the funny th- stories that you end up with um, are always great fodder for conversation. Yeah. Uh, we've been in horse barns and hoedowns. We've been in pouring rain. We've been in the mud. We have been all over this state. <laughs> <laughs> so, And to your point, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, to your point, you know, you're, uh, we, we've talked to a lot of candidates as we go along, you know, statewide uh, as well as, you know, district-wide or state representative. And, you know, the interesting point you brought up, you know, you can have a platform and you can have what you believe. But, you know, when you, when you talk to people and you're knocking on those doors, you go into these small communities and people come up, you hear the real stories about the real problems, the real issues. This isn't something that somebody made up and it may not even be on on somebody's radar um that's where you connect because you know you don't have a cam it's up to you and them you have to have you know big boy or big girl britches on to answer those questions to deal with it and if you don't know the answer to get back with them and people can tell when you're sincere and people can tell when you're just bsing them right and you know that's where the rubber meets the road and they see your heart and or if they see if you're in it for the right reason. So let's uh, first question is let's assume that you guys both win. What is the first thing you're going to do day one in the office? Talk to the people. Uh, 
I think, you know, on Kimberly Live, I talked about it, you know, to walk in, I think first would, would just sit down and, you know, find out what's working, what's not working, kind of get a feel of, you know, uh, your staff, uh, what's needed, uh, and make plans, uh, you know, get feedback. I mean, you, you know, for someone to say that they're going to walk in and do this or do that is kind of ludicrous in the sense <laughs> that you got to, you know, just be like if you applied for a job somewhere and you've got the expertise in the background and the first thing you need to do is kind of get established in the sense of, you know, your desk and your roles and, you know, where certain things are. But I, I think more importantly is get the staff and have honest feedback. What is, you know, you got to work, you got to work with people. You know, I would have the responsibility of being the labor commissioner, but more importantly, you know, try to treat my people with dignity and respect and let them know that they're important and that they matter and what they have to say matters. And because you got to work as a team. Yeah, there's one person that has the leadership role and responsibility, but you get more out of people when you treat them that way. And, and people that have worked for me in the past, and one of the greatest compliments that I've had from a number of people is that nobody works for Fred, they work with Fred. And I, I can't personally and professionally think of a better compliment because that's what it should be all about. Yeah. Your people is who makes you who you are, and they're, in my view, your number one asset. Sure. So let's say something, a, a question that I'm sure you guys have thought about. Let's say you don't win. What's, what's first on your plate in that scenario? Uh, well, first of all, we have one goal and one goal only as candidates, and that's what we're focused on <laughs> the next uh, 14 days. But you're right. You don't get into a statewide race without looking at both options. Um, what I will say is I believe every step that you take leads you to your purpose in life. And if, for example, either one of us or both of us is not victorious on November the 7th, it still involves thanking everybody that put their trust in us, their belief in us. You know, we both have people that have come to us with problems right now they need help with, and we've been working through through that. That won't stop on November 7th, um, either way it goes, because what is clear is that the people of our state have not been heard. There's a disconnect between our elected leaders and the needs of the people and if we don't win, and I believe we both will, we still have an obligation to serve, and that won't stop. It may look a little different, but it won't stop. And the thing I just want to really encourage is, you know, I'm a woman. I'm a woman of color. I've heard this is the blue wave year. This is the year of the woman. I want this to be the year of the people, and I'm encouraging everyone out there don't just vote for a candidate because of their gender. Don't just vote for a candidate because of their age. Vote for the person who's actually the best representative of your needs and the people. And look into who that is, because there are some really great candidates of all ages, all races, and all genders, and they deserve to have people vote for them based off of who they are and not what demographic they represent. Sure. Well, and... And I share a lot of those same feelings, and I think, uh, obviously, that that's a reality in any contest. There's going to be a winner and a loser, but but I believe that it, it's it's a win in the sense of the people that I've met, 
the the lives that have touched me, the people that I've made contact with, uh, the things I've learned. You know, I'm still learning about things, and and at my age, at 64, I think is a testament of what we all should do in the sense of you know being open to learning this journey will be over but another journey begins because my whole focus and goal is is to be a servant and, and to work out what direction that might be in you know i i don't know uh, but you know there's a lot of people that will probably come up and tell you what you did wrong what you did right you know there's always those monday morning quarterbacks but what i keep in mind is why I did what I did, and that was because of what I believe and who I'm doing it for to try to make a difference. And if they choose not to put me in office, then, you know, so be it. I'll live with those consequences, the results, be supportive. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to like it, but I'm not going to throw a fit. You know, life goes on, and there'll be another journey um, that I'll go down and where I can make a difference. So. You know, as I said early on, I, I have a job, so I'm not running for a job. I, I'm running to make a difference. And, you know, I'm going to give it my all. Yeah. So regardless of whether or not you win or lose, what happens on November 7th? You wake up on Wednesday and you're not campaigning. What are you going to do? Sleep. <laughs> Get out. I, I mean, you know, that's a good question. I, I thought of it. Uh, no. You know, I'll just um, probably sleep, kind of relax. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, in, in all seriousness, when you get in the mode of going and every day, and especially the last few weeks, you know, is uh, it would be weird because all of a sudden now you don't have an event to go to or you don't have this, you don't have that. So, I, you know, I'm sure that there'll, there'll, there would be a law. Uh, I hope that, you know, my goal is not to be at that law. You know, um, it, you know, there'll be a lot of people, you know, like I said, a lot of uh, advisors say, well, you know, if you'd raise more money and if you'd have done this. And, you know, and my thing is when I got into this, I, you know, people would talk about that. And I thought, you know, I didn't know this job was for sale. Um, I, I thought it was, you know, elected by the most votes. The way I look at it is if I don't, then I didn't get enough votes. But there'll be those that say you didn't get enough money and whatever. Right. Well, and conversely, we have a very fine age spirit that we only get to enjoy when we win. So that's my goal. <laughs> we, I know I talked to a lot of reporters lately that are all looking forward to the 7th just to be done with, <laughs> with the election cycle. Oh, yeah. Well, um, well that's, you know, it's kind of like asking, what would I do if I had a full head of hair? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have full head of hair. So... <laughs> That's a joke. That's a, that's a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, because you've met me. I have met you, and I couldn't come up with a uh, with a appropriate or good enough response. So, <laughs> well, maybe we will end on that note. Kimberly and Fred, thank you so much for your time, and uh, good luck. You got two weeks. We're recording this on the twenty third, so that's you've got two weeks left until election day. Um, I'm sure this will be some of the busiest weeks that you've had in your campaign experience and uh, i wish you both the best thank you so much we appreciate you thank you andy i appreciate that enjoyed it that brings us to the end of this episode remember you can connect with us on twitter and instagram at let's fix this okay scott is at sc melson and andy is at andy okc you can also like our facebook page at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay 
Our website is letsfixthisok.org, and there you can sign up for our newsletter, read our blog, find resources and details about upcoming events. Our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me, and Let's Fix This is a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music is generously provided by the Sugar Free All Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can, and remember decisions are made by those who show up. <laughs>